0: Hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. You can personalize your hydration strategy today with electrolytes and different strengths that match how you sweat. You can get 15% off your first order with the code OxygenAddict15 and we're also brought to you by athletic greens athletic greens ultimate daily is an all-in-one daily supplement with 75 vitamins minerals antioxidants and digestive enzymes they're all whole food sourced ingredients listeners can get 20 free travel packs worth over 60 pounds with your first purchase that's over at athleticgreens.com forward slash oxygen addict all right everybody hello and welcome to the show Today's interview, later on today, we're going to be bringing you an interview with legend Lucy Gossage, 14 time Ironman champion, winner of Ironman UK, Ironman Wales, amongst many, many others, and her sports psychologist, Helen Davis. The two of them together have worked, they've worked together for over three years. And um, according to the interview, Lucy says that Helen's mental training program really, really helped her in the later few years of her career. Um, it's a very interesting interview, actually, with Lucy because Lucy was someone who I always, I always watched race and I always assumed, wrongly as it turns out, I always assumed that racing came very easily to her. She always looked as though she was really enjoying it and she was looked as though you know, she just turned up and she raced, and she she smashed the races out, as she would say. Um, and it turns out, behind the scenes, it was quite a different story. So she did several years' worth of work with sports psychologist Helen Davis, really on training her mind on on how to approach races, both in terms of racing competitors and in terms of just preparing herself to go out and do those races. And it's a really fascinating story they've together produced a program called Iron Mind. It is, if you like, a training program for your mind and your mentality approaching race day for both Ironman and 70.3 racing. But having been through the program, I'd say it's applicable to everyday life as well. It's really, really good at helping you identify some of the thinking that you might have that's a little bit faulty that perhaps doesn't serve you as well as it could do. Um, So, yeah, we've got a great interview with them. So listen to that coming up, and there's some details as to their program later on. Alright, so first up today we're going to do some news and upcoming races. Our news today is sponsored by Precision Hydration so if you're training at this time of year and you're either training indoors on the trainer or the turbo or the treadmill or you're even out in a warm weather training camp, you're going to be needing to take care of your electrolyte balance as you're trying to stop yourself just being a horrible sweaty mess. So as well as just losing water, you're also losing sodium and other electrolytes as you sweat and you really, really have to improve the way that you replace those electrolytes and precision hydration is a great way to do that they've got different packets in different strengths from 500 milligrams of sodium all the way through to 1500 milligrams of sodium so for particularly salty sweaters like me it's been fundamental in and i feel helping me avoid getting cramps especially in my calves i was really plagued with this when i got back into turbo training again and since i start really regularly using precision hydration again those calf crumps have completely gone away. So it's been great for my indoor training on the bike. And if you've been doing any Zwift training or any of the Zwift rides with us, you'll be seeing that I'm taking the precision hydration during the session as we actually train hard and get those sessions smashed out. So get yourself over to precisionhydration.com you can take their online sweat test if you haven't done before and that'll give you a lead as to whether you're a particularly heavy particularly salty sweater Um, it's just answering some online questions and from there it'll recommend the right strength of electrolytes for you so listen to the show if you've not tried it before you can get 15% off your first order with the code oxygenaddict15 Right then, news this week. First up, sadly, WTS Abu Dhabi has been postponed or question mark cancelled due to threats from the coronavirus. Um, I'm saying question mark cancelled. I've had a look at the calendar going forwards it's hard to see a time when they're going to be able to get this race in the next race on the calendar is bermuda on april the 18th it's hard to see the travel ban getting lifted into the middle east before then unfortunately so my my particular guess would be that that's been cancelled at the moment there's no cases in bermuda there's no travel bans in bermuda at all the next race for that is yokohama in japan on may the 16th and there's a huge amount of travel restrictions and even all the schools are closed over there at the moment from what i've been reading in the press so uh yeah it's going to be particularly challenging for some of the governing bodies who have got the yokohama event signaled as a way to select athletes either for the mixed relays or even they're using it to help select their actual athletes for the olympics themselves so a lot of uncertainty at the moment unfortunately so that's a, a sad state of affairs however somewhere it's not affected is this week's upcoming race down at ironman new zealand Uh, The race is down to start 7 a.m. local time Saturday in New Zealand, which in the UK is Friday at six o'clock. It'll be sort of mid-afternoon if you're over in America on the East Coast. Um, It's looking like there'll likely be two Kona slots for male and female. On the men's side, Joe Skipper's already got his slot from qualifying at Ironman Florida back in November. So, other people he's racing: Braden Curry's down, Mike Phillips. Both of them will be very competitive. We've also got Matthias Pettersen from Denmark and Philip Courtney from Switzerland. And also I've seen down to race for what I believe I'm um, from memory here, but I think Cam Brown said this was his 23rd time racing in New Zealand. Um, same age as me, he's 47. So that's pretty amazing that he's down there and will be competitive in the field as well. So look forward to seeing how he goes. Over on the women's side, uh, we've got Meredith Kessler, Teresa Adam, both already qualified. We've also got Kelsey Withrow, Lisa Roberts and Jocelyn McCauley racing there. So they'll all be looking to tie up their slots for Kona for later in the year. So it be interesting to see how that one plays out. It's going to be live streamed on Facebook. So again, if you're in the UK, the race starts at, I think, 6pm UK time in the evening on Friday, which will be Friday the, I want to say the 7th. Let me check my calendar, Friday the 6th of March. So check that out. Okay, moving forward, talking about telling you what time things are happening. We're talking about Coach's Couch this week. We're going to do some talk about riding with a power meter, riding outside with a power meter for the first time. And um, we had a great question come up in our Team Oxygen Addict team call this week, which was essentially I've just taken my new power meter outdoors for a ride for the first time. I've had it indoors for the past four weeks. I've been training with that on the Turbo, and it's been great, but I've taken it outdoors and what on earth is going on with the numbers the power numbers are jumping about all over the place as i'm riding outdoors and i can't really seem to make sense of them and as i'm riding uphill i seem to be putting out massive percentages of ftp 130 140 percent of ftp even though it doesn't feel like i'm going that hard going uphill so what's going on so two parts to this the first thing i would say is It is undeniably much easier to use your power meter indoors on the turbo than it is outdoors. The numbers do jump around a lot, even if you're using them indoors. So again, our our longstanding advice has always been don't just use the one-second power average reading when you're looking at it on your garmin or your wahoo head unit go with both the three second and the 10 second average power numbers the 10 second average power number is going to be the one that makes the most sense to your brain if you like it's going to be the one that sits there much more stable and you can make use of and the three second number will move around pretty much as you would expect the immediate power to so use those two numbers to go off when you go outside for the first time with your power meter my advice to you would be actually Just don't be led by what it's saying. Just ride with it for four or six weeks outdoors. Just look at what's happening. Um, Don't try and be controlled by it. Don't try and be led by it. Just watch what happens. And that'll give you an insight into what your athletic personality is like. And my advice to athletes is usually, as you're rolling along the road at your your normal cruisy pace, look down and see what kind of power you're putting out. Again, that 10 second power average is going to be really useful for a number you can make sense of. That'll give you a feel for what sort of number you're putting out at your steady pace. And then again, as you start to ride uphill, see what the numbers do, relate that back to what your functional threshold power is, and don't be surprised to see that the first few times you ride, the power jumps way above threshold when you're going uphill, especially if it's a steep hill. Don't be surprised if you see the power numbers jump massively as you go around of a corner. If you get out of the saddle to, you know, power out of a corner or to go over a railway bridge, the power numbers will go really high. And that's kind of what the power meter is there for. It's there to teach you that how it feels isn't how it actually is to your muscles. And you've got to learn to be a very different rider if you want to conserve that energy to have a really good run off the bike. You've got to learn to really back off and change gears before you get to a steep hill, much more than muscling over the climb, if you like. So really important that you get to doing that. One of the other things that came out of this was as well, it's very common for athletes to have a different functional threshold power outdoors to indoors. And most often we see that somebody's FTP is a bit lower outdoors than it is indoors. It's just easier to put the power out when your head's down and you're driving along on the turbo than it is when you're riding along and you're looking for potholes. So your functional threshold power has to change a bit to take advantage of that. So we do advise people doing a separate FTP test outdoors. And even if that number's 20 or 30 watts lower, Just accept that that's how things are outdoors because it's much better to be training to an accurate number outdoors, even if it's different and lower than it is to be trying to train to the same number you can put out indoors, but not physiologically be quite capable of reaching it. Similar thing is when you're riding uphill, it's quite common to be able to put out more power going uphill than you can on flat. So it's worth in your head thinking to yourself, okay, I'm just going to watch what these numbers do for a few weeks, but then I'm going to work out to myself, right, if I've seen I can consistently put out, say, 10% more power going uphill, it's worth figuring that into your calculations when you're working out what's happening as you're riding uphill. Okay? So what we often see is our athletes build they build power indoors during the winter with a focus interval training. But then, as you move to riding outdoors and the season approaches, we need to learn how to control that power. My friend Matt Botterell always says his tagline is power's nothing without control. So, you have to learn what you're capable of indoors before you see how much of that you're capable of outdoors and then get those appropriate numbers. It's not something that happens immediately. It's not easy, but the good news is it is doable. And once you've got a grasp of those numbers, it will lead you to be much, much faster overall in your triathlon racing. Ignorance really is bliss. There is a learning curve to this where you're going to start off by kind of thinking, oh, it's so complicated, but stick with it and persevere. And once you get to learn the art of using your power meter, it's going to make you much faster overall. So, a great way to build your interval power is to do that interval training indoors in the winter or even once a week, still during the season. Get a Zwift ride in. So, you can come and join us on our Oxygenatic Triathlon Podcast Power Hour Zwift ride in conjunction with Zwift. Uh, we've got these rides going on on Tuesdays, every Tuesday at 7 15 pm UK time. Uh, you can just go to the event page in the Zwift app and you can click on that and um, sort of get there five or 10 minutes. early start to get a bit for warm up in and you will automatically be taken to our event which is awesome we've had about a hundred riders on the last couple of rides that we've done it's a great way to be inspired and motivated to do the hard interval training nobody gets dropped Um, everyone sticks together as a pack as long as you keep pedaling Um, but it's a really motivating way to really drive yourself along to get that power out in training so these workouts are guaranteed to raise your functional threshold power and that in turn will give you a faster more powerful bike leg this coming season so again get over onto the Zwift app and check that out or we've got a link in the show notes for this. You can just click that and be taken to the page automatically. It's also on Twitter and it's on Facebook on the at OHY podcast, Twitter and Facebook feeds there. So you can click the link through to it there. Hope to see you along. We hope to have even more than a hundred people and who knows, keep your eyes peeled. We might have a celebrity or two coming to join us over the coming weeks as well. All right. So without further ado, we're going to take us over to our interview of the week with, uh, Ironman legend Lucy Gossage and her sports psychologist Helen Davis for our training the mind special okay so on today's show I'm very very lucky to have legends of Ironman Wales and Ironman UK and Ironman who knows where else around the world last time of counting Lucy it was was 13 time Ironman champion is it more than that now I lost count.
1: Oh, no, I get confused because some of them... I think it's 12 Ironmans and two, like, extreme, so whatever you want to call it. <laughs>
0: That's definitely 14. 14-time Ironman champion Lucy Gossage and chartered sport psychologist Helen Davis, who worked with Lucy for a large part of her career. Um, so it's great to be able to have you both on. We've, we've not done, like, a three-way interview before, so this is the first for me as well. Um, we've got the pair of you on because... Firstly, we've had loads of requests from listeners asking me questions that I don't know the answers to. I'm not an expert, and uh, I thought this would be a great opportunity to get someone with Helen's background on who can answer these these questions about how to help people out psychologically and if you like that, it's almost like the hidden the hidden fourth aspect of training and racing isn't it psychology so to get you on and talk us through that and then we've also got your new project um think believe perform iron mind which we're going to talk a little bit later on which is a very very cool project you've done you've got a video series to help athletes out specifically with racing iron distance races and loads of worksheets and i've been through your program and i think it's brilliant so well done getting it made and welcome thank to you. The thank
2: you thank you
0: Hi. (laughs) Right, so first question is really, obviously Ironman racing is a massive, massive physical challenge, but I think it often surprises people. They get into the fittest shape of their life, and then on race day, it's almost entirely mental getting through the race. And it's a subject that I hear about time and time and time and time again from people saying the biggest challenge was actually mental. I knew I was really fit, but getting through it, mentally and the challenges and the voices in my head that really surprised me how hard it was going to be so i think what you're doing here is fantastic because it's going to help an awful lot of people out the first question i've got is going to go to lucy around this as a pro triathlete as someone with super duper physiology and we look at and it always looks easy and it always Mm -hmm. looks like having fun running along the road how did it feel doing those races did it feel as hard to you as it experienced to all of us racing as well
1: yeah I mean so I think I guess I I smiled when I was racing because I loved it but it was yeah just because you get we're getting quicker it doesn't make it any easier (laughs) um and I I think one of my uh, one of my biggest barriers to racing actually was I didn't I didn't really believe that I was good enough to be a pro and I kind of, I didn't set out to become a pro and it it kind of, I kind of ended up on this path. And as I was on this path, I I always felt like I was fluking it. And which, and I remember actually the first, the first pro race that I won was in 2011. It was in Galway and Rachel Joyce, you, you probably all know Rachel Joyce, who is just a legend. And at the time she was one of the best in the world. And she came forth at Kona a few weeks later and I was racing against her. And, Somehow, I, I remember coming off the bike and all the the announcers were like, oh, there's only, you know, it's a really close race between Lucy and Rachel. And I was like, and I got into transition and Rachel was running an out. And I remember sitting down and going, oh, I've done well to finish second behind Rachel. And then I was running along, I was like, you have still got a half marathon. You're running really well. And I, I could see I was catching her. And then as I was catching her, I was like, I'm going to finish second behind Rachel. And, and I had to like consciously, and I remember it so clearly in the race, tell myself, you can overtake her, you can, you can, you can be allowed to win this. And I'll never forget that because it was, It like looking, I guess I only realized this, like looking back, but that was kind of until I started doing some work with Helen. It was the whole way I went through my career that I, I didn't really believe I was a pro and I, you know, I, yeah, I'd won a race, but it was only because so-and-so didn't turn up or because I got lucky or so-and-so had this problem or, um, and belief for me was a, a really big thing. And I think it was quite limiting, um, certainly in, until I until I started doing some work to overcome it.
0: Okay. And so at what point at what point did you start working with Helen? When were you introduced to Helen and and how did that all come about?
1: So Helen and I used to swim together. Um and everyone knows that swimming <laughs> is is my weakness. And Helen you, Helen used to always tell me swimming. She's like, Well of course you're not gonna be able to make the times. If you say before the start of every swim, you're not gonna make, you know, it'd be like, I don't know making up the times but 10 400 off six minutes I'll be like I can't do that she's like well of course you can't do it if you say you can't do it and um and then yeah I think you were probably quite nervous weren't you Helen about suggesting that we did some work together probably <laughs> thinking you know, I'd be like what and I was certainly quite nervous about opening up and um and and I get I, yeah I guess I guess, I, you know, one of the big things we worked through was the difference between confidence and arrogance. And, and I hate, I hated being thought of as being arrogant. And to me, you couldn't be confident with being arrogant. And, and actually admitting all that to Helen was, I, I found it quite hard to open up and actually to admit it even to myself. So Helen was, I'm sure you were quite nervous, when you, about approaching me originally, Helen?
2: <laughs> yes, I mean, uh you know, obviously I knew Lucy in the, in the swimming the kind of context uh, rather than the biking and the running. So we used to train together regularly. Um, and, and I just found it really fascinating that somebody of kind of Lucy's calibre uh, in terms of her results at the time of what she was doing in Ironman were, were, was so strong. But yet her, her self-talk and um, just her mindset around her swimming particularly was very negative. Uh, and I got very interested in the fact that you know she could be very negative about her swim and yet be such a successful triathlete. And so I guess over time, I think we, after training, we we would uh, go for brunch sometimes and and uh, meet with some other people and and have discussions about mindset and and about how she felt about her swimming. And uh, and I got very interested in it from a performance point of view.
0: Okay. And so how far into your pro career, Lucy? Did you did you sort of recognise that this was possibly a challenge that was holding you back and that you were going to work with Helen on a more formal basis?
1: So it was late. So it was 2016, which was my last full-time year. Um and I'm not just saying this because of you know, because of our mind, but um I do I, I think without that, so that year I I was injured quite a lot. Um I, I had lots of I mean, the physios and things would have said, you shouldn't be able to like I raced New Zealand with the torn Achilles and well now I raced New Zealand off two weeks of running and I raced South Africa five weeks later with the torn Achilles and then I broke my collarbone about the week before I'm in the UK a, a boyfriend and I broke up like quite a long-term boyfriend on the Monday of the race and all of those things I think to to anybody else would have stopped them even making the start line um but so it was, it was kind of early on that year I think wasn't it that we maybe end of 2015-2016 that we started doing the work and I think that that allowed me to toe start lines feeling confident even though my preparation was on paper far from confident and you know the whole dealing with breaking up with a boyfriend on the Monday and racing an Ironman on the Sunday that was a massive thing to get my to get my head around so you know I was it was such an emotional week on, on, on so many levels. Um, but because of that work and because of those experiences, and on paper anyone looking at my results in 2016 would be
2: like, you had a great
1: year. <laughs> no one knew what was going on behind the scenes. But that meant that then when I went back to work at the end of it, 2016, I kind of realised I still loved it. And actually, even though I was working and you know my training might be so inferior to what I would previously have thought, I was like well I can probably still go and do quite well and more importantly I can definitely still go and enjoy it so why not carry on so it was, it was really pivotal in me carrying on for the next I don't know how many years after that quite a lot
0: <laughs> yeah it was another three or four wasn't it after that
1: yeah it was well I, I, I yeah I won eight Ironman races when I was when since I went back to work which is um
0: <laughs> <more> <laughs> which is than a fairly, fairly healthy yeah. career for any pro athlete isn't um, it really
1: but that was that was just that was pivotal because without doing that work on the psychology, there's no way I would have let myself carry on racing um, with injuries or with. I'm not saying you should race with injuries. I don't advocate that. But just it, it was just really interesting how your your mental strategy can um, can overcome what physically. You know, any of my friends would be like, "There's there's no way you should race South Africa." Well, there's no way you, you can race Kona eight weeks after breaking your collarbone um but but you can you can do it if you've got a strong mind and it's really interesting
0: (laughs) so Helen talk to us a little bit about that challenge then you've got you've got Lucy coming to you and saying I've broken my collarbone we've we've heard an example there of the self talk and and I think it's pretty understandable sensible self-talk saying there's no way I'm going to Kona I've just broken my collarbone how would you go about working with a person in that position
2: I think the key thing for me when I first start working with anybody is um getting to know that person and the kind of person that they are the thing that makes them tick the things that motivates them um, and really building the relationship with the athlete is is the number one priority for me. Once you have a relationship with an athlete, you then begin to understand them and and how they are um, in different situations, race situations. Obviously, I knew Lucy from a kind of training partner perspective but 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 it's different when you're you're working with somebody um who who as lucy says is is opening up to you. Um, I like to think I was somebody that she that she could trust. Already, and also, we had a very short time frame, particularly with uh, the Kona being such a short time away. So uh, it was, you know, gaining her trust and finding out what her goals were, um, and did she really want to make the start line in Kona, and how motivated she was to do that. And I'm sure for all of you that know Lucy, she is an incredibly motivated person, and and when she puts her mind to something, uh, she really wants to work hard at it. So for me, it was my role to be very solution focused with her and to tap into her resources, to build those, to ensure that when she got to that start line, that she could 100% be behind and back herself for the race.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this, this ties in really well, I think, to start talking about your Iron Mind program at this point, because I've got my other laptop here with all the worksheets upon the screen. And... Lucy, let me ask you this. Were you a person who needed to sit down and write things out on a piece of paper? Is that how you work or are you someone who gets more from talking things through or was it a combination of of those things?
1: So I would have always said, no, I'm not someone who benefits from writing stuff down. But I actually found that if you write stuff down, a you have to take the time to think about it because you can, sports psychology will only work if you invest in it. And, yeah. you know, I can sit on the turbo and think all this stuff and it's going around or on the bike. Or whatever. But actually, that's that's not the same as, as sitting down in a quiet room for half an hour or whatever and actually doing that and investing every all of your energy into that. So I would have said, no, I'm not someone who writes stuff down. I might write, you know, a scare brain list, but I found it really helpful. And actually, then I would go back and look at it. So one of the most helpful things I did was. um was well I mean there's so much work so much stuff that I did that was useful but one of the things I did was work out a timetable for race week so um how I can get it myself and uh, again I it sounds stupid but for me to be ready to race I need to be in my head ready for a smash fest which basically meant that I was ready to empty the tank to give it everything um and I I needed to be in a place where I wasn't thinking about what you know what everyone else was doing I didn't care I wouldn't Having always used to stalk my competitors, I realized that that wasn't helpful. So I just ignored all of that. And I just would focus. I wouldn't think about injuries or how little running I'd done. I think of all the positive things. And I, I had a, a plan that I wrote down Monday to Saturday um, or Sunday, in the same way that I'd had my training plan. I had my mental plan. Which sounds ridiculous, but it worked. And I did it after I raced it, and I, it, it would evolve three times. I did it before every race, and it, it works. And I'd have on, you know, on a Wednesday, for example, I'd go out with friends and do something completely unrelated to triathlon. And the Friday, I wouldn't think about triathlon at all. On the Tuesday, I'd watch videos of races that I'd won previously, and and I, it was all. But but that was so helpful having that written down, which is so unlike me because I'm not I'm not a planner.
0: <laughs> it, it's interesting that isn't it that sometimes. You think you think of yourself one way, but then it turns out when you try something new, actually, this new thing really works really well for you. And the simple act of writing things down in particular gets them out of your head and gets them in front of you and makes you realize, oh, there's a set of things there that I can, that were previously uncontrollable and now they're controllable. Or they were previously just thoughts that were doing my head in and now they're not anymore because they're they're out on a piece of paper in front of me.
1: And it makes it real, and I guess I don't know. I'm sure there's evidence behind this, but if you want to make a change in your life, like if you want to not eat chocolate, if you put a bar on your cupboard where your chocolate's kept, and said, "Do you really want this chocolate?" You're probably less likely to eat it than if you just tell yourself, "I'm not going to eat chocolate," and then the chocolate covers there, and there's no. I don't know. I'm sure that, but for me, writing it down makes it, it real. um oh, And tick- it, I guess it's the same. Sorry, but you know, you turn up to the swimming pool with a set. If it's written down then you're 10, 200s off three minutes. I'd love to be able to do that now. But say <laughs> <laughs> that was the set. Um, if you don't have it written down, then you might well do, oh, I'll just do six or I'll, I'll add in the paddles or whatever. But if it's written down, you're far more likely to do it. And it's just the same with mental strategy. I don't know, Helen, you're the expert, but I would say it's the same with mental strategy as physical training.
2: Yeah, I was going to say certainly with um, goal setting, there's a lot of evidence to say uh, just by the nature of having written it down on a piece of paper, it's more likely that it will happen than if it's not written down on a piece of paper. So that in itself for setting goals is pretty powerful, you know, um, putting it up, making it, putting it in a visible place are all things to remind you of why you're doing something. You know, it, it, it's really helpful. I mean, I generally find when I work with people, uh, the majority of people do end up writing things down, even if they don't start at the beginning doing that. But they say, like Lucy says, they find it a useful process to help themselves think things through.
0: So your first worksheet within the programme is all about goal setting, isn't it? And the thing I really liked was that all my athletes, I get to write things down. If you talk to them about goal setting, they'll they'll almost always default to, I want to do nine hours, 20 in an Ironman. It, it's this kind of overall outcome goal. And then you've got to kind of dig into the next level and say, well, look, that's one part of it. Can you talk us through your sort of three layer goal setting sheet?
2: So, yes, you're absolutely right. The kind of the outcome goal is that exciting goal that motivates you, that makes you want to jump out of bed and go training. Uh, but generally speaking, your outcome goal is is that it is an outcome. It's it's not within your control, but it's the exciting, motivating factor. Um What sits below the outcome goal are what I call performance goals. So performance goals might have um, numerical value. They may be a time. Um, They may be a a particular number. But those goals are there for you to set yourself targets to see, am I on track? How am I doing? How is my performance um, at this particular time? And then below performance goals sit your process goals. And they're like the foundation of goal setting. So those are the things that you'll do on a day-to-day basis. They're the things that are within your control, the things that you have ownership over, and you can make your decisions about your process goals to be your building blocks for helping you try to achieve your performance goals. And then ultimately, hopefully, you can reach your outcome goal as a result of working on a day-to-day basis on the process goals.
0: Nice. All right, the one that really really struck a chord with me Your second worksheet, I think you've titled it, Get It Out. Um, And I want to read the instructions here. It says, write down exactly how you feel about your upcoming Ironman for 10 minutes. What are your thoughts, worries, fears, excitements, positives and negatives? It really reminds me of years ago, I read a book called The Artist's Way and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the basic principle behind it is every morning, as soon as you wake up, you get your pad and your piece of paper and a pen, and you just kind of freeform write for three pages of A4. And the idea is it kind of gets all that mental noise and chatter out of your brain and onto a page. And then you can kind of get on with, kind of get on with the day almost. That seems really similar to your second worksheet and the idea of write down everything you're feeling, all the worries and the fears, get it all down on a piece of paper. Is that the, is that the aim behind it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, generally speaking, if you've you know you you've entered a, a big race or a big event, uh, you are going to experience a number of different uh, feelings, thoughts, emotions at various different times, um, depending on you know whether you're training, whether you're just sitting watching TV at home. That thoughts will just come and go, and and that it's really a chance to really explore what those things are. And again, the process of doing that, um, or speaking them to somebody. Uh, for you to really kind of understand what your general thoughts and feelings are about things, I'm a you know great believer in that we we develop habits in our thinking, and you'll probably notice when you do an activity like that that there are certain things that you think actually I've thought about that more than once and I've thought about that quite a lot and and then you can really begin to understand which ones are causing emotional responses. Yeah. And these, so, these, sorry, just—I
1: think these strategies can come into into the rest of your life. So, um, you know, last year I was trying to retire, and it was very much a—it it was a tough process. And and I, you know, everyone knows I—I I didn't really want to stop, and yeah, you know, I did North Van and then this idea of racing whales came on the horizon, and I—I I hadn't really realized that until now. But I—I I did exactly what Helen's just talked about trying to work out what are my reasons for doing it and are they the right reasons and and they were and I did it and you know most people would be like why did she do it she's not going to win it it's not it she'll be really sad when she doesn't win it but for me it was it was I went through that process and and the why was was enough and that was why I ended up starting it and I actually then did the I was meant to raise Patagon Man I did exactly the same for Patagon Man I realized that there was no why anymore. And if I was doing it, the only reason I would have been doing it was because I'd said I was going to do it. And there, I, you know, without having your, your why, without knowing why you're doing it, then the sacrifices would have always, are always going to be too much. So, um, and you can do it for anything. It doesn't have to be a, a triathlon. It can be any decision, big decision that you make in your life. Um, and I, I had Chris Evans on, I love Chris Evans going off track here, but on Virgin radio and, um, he you know he's he's he talks a lot about basically psychology doesn't he um but he was saying when you're making a and I've written exactly these words in a blog before so I think he's read it but you know when you're making the big decisions in life if it's not how a yes then probably it's a no and he says you know when you were trying to work out whether you want to do something and um, give it a number out of 10 but you've got to take away seven because seven's just like maybe sitting on the fence so it's got to be eight or more and if it's not eight or more then don't do it um and yeah, that's not relevant to triathlon, but it's relevant to any big decision, isn't
0: it? <laughs> I definitely think it is relevant. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting to hear, and this will lead into the next worksheet, I think, Lucy, but it was interesting to hear you talk at the start and say, like, you kind of felt as though you, you had like imposter syndrome, I think was the phrase you used. You didn't feel you belonged <laughs> as, a, as a real pro. And it, it struck a chord because a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Chris McCormack Yes. And he said virtually exactly the same thing. He, That's interesting. He, you know, obviously all through his career, he, he approached races like a prize fighter and would track his opponents down and talk about them in the press and try and get inside the head. And he was viewed as, as very arrogant and very unpleasant. And, and he said in this interview, I felt less than them. I felt like the only way I was going to beat a superior athlete was if I could find a mental edge so I would try every single thing that I could. To beat them, and that was it was all based in this feeling of him not feeling enough in himself to beat them physically. And so, I've got two examples in two weeks here of two champion Ironmans you know, you both won 15, 16, 18, 20 Ironman titles, but even at the very highest level, I wonder whether this is a common thread that runs through all high performance sport a feeling of, and I would never have guessed this, but a feeling of imposter syndrome and not feeling like you deserve to be there almost
1: well it's interesting so I've got two examples of complete opposite so um Helen is good friends with Susie Cheetham as well and I remember in in 2015 so this was before the work that I'd done to Kona with um with Helen we were going out to Kona and Susie and I were on paper pretty much exactly the same and you know physically we had slightly different strengths and weaknesses but really we we you know we'd raced each other a couple of times we were pretty much bang on the same so we should have gone in with the same expectations and Susie was going into that race telling herself she was going to be in the top five and she would be disappointed if she wasn't going to be in the top five or six I was going into the race saying all I want is to be in the top 10 <laughs> and funnily enough she she finishes sixth I finished tenth and, and that's, you know, it was just, it's really interesting looking back that Susie was really confident and her voices were telling her she was going to be in the top six. And I was just going to say, if I have a really good day, I could just about scrape into the top 10. Um, and then, in, so that same year we went out for, so one of my big things, as I said, was confidence versus arrogance. And mum has never done anything competitively and she's always brought me up that, you know, that arrogance is a... A, an attribute that you don't want to have and um I guess that's why I, I struggle with confidence and even like applying for university I never thought I'd be good enough to get into Cambridge etc but anyway we went out for dinner with Lucy Charles before Lucy Charles was anybody um and she was an age grouper that year and she was so confident about winning her age group and mum cannot get her head round. you know mum and Lucy know each other quite well now my mum cannot get her head round how Lucy Charles could be (laughs) could be so confident that she was going to win her age group and to mum that was arrogant but it wasn't Lucy was just so confident in her abilities um and and that translated into her performance and has I'm sure translated into her performance going forwards
0: yeah okay Helen do you want to speak a little bit to that about the idea of of limiting beliefs and the way that they can the way they can affect our performances
2: yeah, I mean, it, it, this is uh, something that we explore in um, particularly the, the, the second video. Uh, it's something that I work on generally a lot with athletes. is, is um, and, and one of the things that I did with, with Lucy is um, many athletes come to me and feel like they are being hindered in some way. Um, they, at the time, they, may, they might not be quite... Uh, have clarity on, on why that is, but exploring people's kind of belief systems and... The, the habits that they have in their thinking, but that can often be something which they do feel is limiting them ultimately in their in their performance. So um, I spend a lot of time looking at what people's belief systems are like and exploring the kind of the types of thinking that they have habits in, um, and you know why they're saying those sorts of things to each other, particularly about obviously in relation to their performance. And then uh, we we work on learning to uh, once we've explored those beliefs, then to challenge them and dispute them, and we tend to look at them on a kind of pragmatic basis, looking at logic and sense. Um, and that was something that I did a lot of work with on Lucy. Um, you know, she talks about the imposter syndrome that she had um, and really didn't believe that sh- she deserved to be where she was. And w- when we sort of took it, the bare bones of of, of um, her performances, and you know, there in black and white on a piece of paper, was a list of of her successful results, um, and she found it very difficult to kind of marry the two together. Well, yes, I, yes, I have got these results, but I feel it. I feel in this way. Um, so we, we very much explored the logic behind that and the sense of continuing to hold beliefs that actually are not actually true.
0: Something that really appealed to me about, I think it's the fourth worksheet you've got as part of your, your system, the, the watch your limits one. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I don't know whether it's just the way that my mind works, but when, when there's a system in front of me that I can look at and go, oh, okay, there's a system to this. Now, I might be a bit thick, but I never <laughs> realized there was a system to thinking. And you've got a list here of, of four different types of thinking. And I've looked at that and gone, and I'll name them if that's all right, because then listeners, will not going there's rigid demand thinking, there's catastrophizing, there's low frustration tolerance, and there's put down thinking. And I looked at that worksheet and went, I never realized that there was categories of this. And I've, I've recognized times I've done all of those things. And I was like, well, how, how do I fix that then? And lo and behold, the next worksheet's there that says, well, you know, you write these down and then you've got ways of dealing with it. I love the idea of there being a system that I could approach a bit like a training plan. So I know how to make my legs stronger yeah. for riding the bike. I love the idea that there's a system here for making your mind stronger, for dealing with the things that might come up. So could you give us an example, Helen, of I don't know, put-down thinking? What what an example of that would be and then a, and a way that an athlete could deal with that and and reframe it, please.
2: So, um, an example of, uh, of of put down thinking. Let's say, for example, somebody is saying, um, you know, I, "I don't think I'm good enough to do this race." That would be a very it's a very common thing that I hear. I, I don't think I'm good enough. Okay. Um, we'd explore that phrase in terms of good enough. What what does enough mean? Um, but 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 when you're looking at that, that um, that that would come under a category of generally. A put down type of thought you know it's like i am not able to do this i don't believe that i've got the resources to be able to manage what is ahead of me and that generally can raise some what i would call kind of unhealthy um emotions like high anxiety and things like that which can actually uh, obviously have a big impact on term, in terms of performance so what the fit or the framework that I would use to address that is to really try and challenge the belief behind that. So, what evidence do you have that says that you are not good enough? And generally speaking, it comes from that person itself. So it's like, well, do you have evidence? You know, have, have, is it written down anywhere that says that you're not good enough to do this race? Well, no. The person probably says, no, it's not written down anywhere. So, so where where does this evidence come from? Um, and you start exploring why, why a person is, is believing that. And it, and it might be that maybe they've had some poor results, but they're forgetting about their better results. And they're thinking, oh, well, I didn't manage to achieve this, but they're forgetting what they have achieved. And so you're looking about uh, behind the logic and the sense of what they're actually saying. And then challenging them with questions such as, well, what, what are the advantages of you continuing to think are holding on to this belief. You know, Is it helping you in any way? Mm. And generally speaking, when we're holding on to limiting beliefs, they are not helping us. You know, They're not helping us move forward. So it's all about working to try and reframe that and change it to a much more logical, realistic, evidence-based statement. So it might mean preparation has not gone well in the lead up to a race, but it doesn't mean to say that you're not being good enough to complete it. So it, I... When I'm working on, on thinking, and I, and I hope that this really comes out in the videos, is that the language that people use is so powerful. And just a, a choice of a small word can make such a difference to your belief about something. Um, so that, that it's, it explores that in the videos and gives you examples of different words that, that, that can make you hold on to these limiting beliefs and how just by altering and changing some of them, it can make such a difference and have a bigger impact.
0: Wow okay and Lucy have you got examples of this from from you could share with us of how you managed to change your thinking around that imposter syndrome to
1: I not- I think one of the most helpful things was was challenging because actually like Helen's just said it was irrational like when we started working together I'd won a lot of races I'd beaten lots of big names so it was but I was still write myself off before the start like I'd look at a start list and I'd go there's nowhere I can beat her nowhere I can beat her nowhere I can beat her even if I'd beaten them you know two months before um and that's irrational but it's only when you write it down and you you chat you know it's on paper oh sorry my battery just went um on paper in front of you that that you realize that it is irrational and and as a rational person it's very hard to challenge something that is written down on paper in front of you so it's a lot of it is so it's so simple and like you say you kind of read it and you're like well that's obvious or you hear it and, that, and it is obvious but it's only obvious when you when you understand it and um I, I, you know different people Helen don't they have completely different um different approaches so so Tom and I were just doing this turbo session together and it was um I was just thinking about this now it's probably again going off tack, but. It was five by five minutes um, and I set myself very conservative targets hoping to beat them. Uh, Tom set himself very ambitious targets and was hoping to hang on. We both ended up doing exactly the same, you know, what's the kilo. But it's really interesting what makes, if I'd set myself really ambitious targets, that would have been a negative spiral because I might not have hit the first one and then it would have started a whole negative spiral. But I know for me, I work much better by exceeding what I what i think i might be able to do so if i set myself say 260 watts and actually i'm doing 275 watts then that's really positive reinforcing and that means that i'll do better for the session so it's just understand i guess it's understanding what makes you tick but you only understand that if you spend the time thinking about it and working out how your brain works
0: yeah it's interesting that you 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 don't know what you don't know almost you don't realize that a thoughts are rational until someone yeah. puts it down in paper in front of you and you go well, hang on. I've. Why am I thinking I can't beat that person? I've beaten them three times before. Clearly, that's illogical. And, and that why? Kind of-
1: and it's yeah. And you don't yeah exactly. You don't know what you don't know until until you don't know it or do it until you do know it. Yeah, it's, it's about.
0: There are known it's unknowns. About,
1: it's not just about beating someone. It's you know, it, triathlon is so much more than just about beating someone. Like I remember the you know, I remember the first Ironman that I did. I, I was lining up at the start and I just thought I had no idea that I would be able to do it. I really didn't believe that I'd do it. And I was kind of running along, even when I was running along like three hours quicker than I, three hours ahead of where I thought I might be. You don't, that, yeah, I, you don't understand your thought processes unless you think about them and you'll probably be fine when you do think about it, that it actually goes all the way through your life and in, in everything that you do far beyond the triathlon. Um, mm-hmm. So my life is a, as a doctor and even some of the you know the charity stuff that I I do a lot of the psychology work I've done with Helen has transformed my life that way in terms of kind of facing up to failure and and things that that's given me the the confidence to try things in different walks of life so it's I, I think it's fascinating
2: how it's um it's applicable to so much more than just triathlon It's really good to hear Lucy say that because it's one of the things that you know other athletes that I work with say a lot of the time is well, firstly, that they feel that by spending time thinking about it, they learn so much more because normally it's just you know little thoughts here and there, whereas they're using a concentrated time to actually think things through. Um, but so many athletes come in and say, Oh, you know that thinking principle. I applied that to a talk that I was giving at work the other day. Mm. Um, and and uh, it, often people say that, but I suddenly thought, oh, actually, I could use that You know, when I'm doing this and it's completely unrelated to the sport.
0: Right. So I think we've got time here now. We're going to put this into the real world. We've got some questions from listeners that we've taken through the Facebook groups. So I see if we can help some people out here. The first one's from Paul Smith who says, any tips for switching off and getting some sleep the night before a race? I always struggle knowing I need to get up early.
1: I think, just ignore that. You're never going to sleep the night before the race. (laughs) So (laughs) take take that out as being, it's not essential. Um, You don't need to sleep before the race and um, no one sleeps before the race. So stop worrying about it. What you do need to do is make sure that you bank your sleep in, in the race week. And again, I actually put that into my race my like race week build up trying to work out particularly when I went back to work yeah it's easy as a full time athlete but when I went back to work I would factor in how I could balance my training with my work with getting enough sleep Um, and no one sleeps the night before the race Um, I mean I always find eating dinner really early kind of helps and then just shut the curtains and watch a film and close everything off close on social media etc but you will be tossing and turning till you know all night it will seem and it won't make an ounce of difference to how you perform (laughs)
0: Uh, right james clark says training almost never goes to plan and or there are issues on race day how do you prepare to mentally block that out and get the race you wanted what do you think helen
2: well i would certainly say uh trying to block things out generally means that you probably think about them more right so it i mean it's, it's really simple but 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 um Trying to block it out is, is probably going to make it worse. I would say, yes, you know, not having an ideal preparation, it can easily trouble people's thoughts um, in, in the lead up to a race. I would certainly say it's all about change of focus. So focus on the things that you have been doing well. So, yes, of course, there are things that haven't gone well, but it's very easy to place your focus there. So choose to place your focus on what you have done right. The, even the small things, they may seem small, but there will be things that have gone right. There will be things that have been positive. There will be progress that you've made that you can take away and place your focus on that because those things are much more likely to help you race well.
1: Nice. So I, I've got an example in um, in, I'm in New Zealand, and I'd, I'd literally started running two weeks before the race. Um, I had an amazing swim came up way ahead of where I thought I would do and then I'd ridden I don't know ridden all the way through the field and about 25 miles in I punctured and my initial thought you know all the girls rode past me was oh no I punctured. and I'm not going to be able to run but I remember I used all of Helen's strategies or all the stuff that we'd worked on and I ignored the puncture and I just told myself you've had a great swim you're three minutes further ahead than you expected to be forgotten about puncture didn't even think about the fact that I wouldn't be able to run and and that was really helpful just ignoring the puncture focusing on my excellent swim that it given me all that time so and it can reach and I finished second in the race in the end but um yeah completely changed would have been very easy to give up at puncture and think yeah well I haven't been running anywhere it's fake just pull out
0: <laughs> yeah all right, So here's a question for Lucy from Ian Bettis. How important has your mental strength been in helping you to adjust from being a professional triathlete into your, your life post triathlon career?
1: um I think I alluded to it a bit in terms of knowing my why and it's helped me retire at a time that is right for me and I didn't know what was right for me until I got to that point and it turned out that Wales Wales was the right time and Patagon mammals would have been one too many um so I think it's it's helped me retire when you know when I was yeah retire at the right time and and be very honest with myself because I you know without being arrogant (laughs) I think I could have carried I could carry on racing and get lots of fourth places in lots of races and still make quite a lot of money from it but that's not the reason that I've ever done it um and I think thinking through all of that has been really helpful um and yeah again we've talked about it haven't we it, it it goes into every aspect of life in my life as a doctor and what my career how my job's set up what is important to me how I spend my free time it's all um yeah even you know even now doing turbo sessions or whatever I don't need to do a turbo session but yeah I still I still want you know I still do it so um I didn't answer that very well but yes yeah, it. <laughs> All right. Question
0: for Helen, this one, I think from Robbie Ryan, who says, I'm mentally strong in the swim and the bike. But as soon as I get on the run and it starts to hurt, that voice comes out telling me I'm rubbish and the self-doubt takes hold. How can I remove or fight that? It's probably my biggest weakness.
2: So I would say preparation, preparation, preparation. You know, um, this is exactly the kind of thing that we talk people through in the videos is that, you know, being just as you prepare physically for something, you prepare mentally for something. If you know that that's a weak point in your race, you know that that happens to you often, then I would certainly say if I was working with you, you know, I, I would make a plan for that time so that you you if this happens, then I'm going to be doing X, Y and Z and and exploring what's going on, what those thoughts are typically that happen at that moment, and then work to change the thoughts, do something different, distraction whatever the technique might be that works for you, but so when it comes, you know what you're doing
0: I think it, it's definitely worth reframing that question around the whole thing we've just talked about you don't have to be a slave to the things that your mind tells you. I think that's the biggest story that the two of you are given across here there's just like you wouldn't try and go and do an Ironman without doing any bike training, maybe we should also think we shouldn't try and do an Ironman without doing any mental training because I'll tell everyone now, your legs are going to hurt at some point during the marathon and the the brain's going to say to you, we could stop and have a walk. Like Everyone's going to go through that. So it's probably the person who is the most prepared for that, who's going to be most successful rather than, I think, you know, Lucy will say herself, she feels just as bad as anybody else in the field at that point. You're just somehow dealing with I mean, how did you deal with that, Lucy? I'm sure your legs hurt as much as anyone's during the race at the speed you were running at. What sort of (laughs) mental battles were you having as you were racing at the twenty two mile point of the marathon?
1: Oh God, loads. I mean yeah, I I mean it depends it depends very much where you are in the race. And people think if you're winning the race by ten minutes that is easy and I actually think that's harder because you've got a lot of time then, where it would be very easy to let your brain just say you're going to win this. Yeah, you're amazing. And actually, the as soon as you start thinking that, that's when you mess up and you end up, you know, forgetting to drink or eat or whatever. Um, so it can be just as hard if you're if you're winning. Um, and but actually, I think the most rewarding races for me have been the ones that I haven't won, but the ones that I've really emptied the tank or where I just like. I remember with. Um, was it 2000? 2000 yeah 2017 on UK and my bike had broken the, the forks had cracked on the Friday before the race Friday of the race week and I had to get out my old bike from the turbo from the garage was set up completely differently I got to Bolton at like 10 o'clock on Friday night ate a, like had a mini bottle of wine and a big bag of crisps and a race chicken I was like this is not but um this is not I run prep and um anyway I did the race and I started the run I was in the lead but oh my god I was in agony like my back is because it was a completely different position and then uh who was it Diana Reisler was was catching me on the run and I just I was in a world of pain and she was catching me and god the amount of mental strength I had to use to to get myself to that to that line and um yeah, actually, one of the things I did was told myself because one of the phrases that I realized for me was being an everyday pro. And that was kind of what tapped me up because, you know, that's how I kind of like thinking of myself. And um, I was running along and I, I was literally hardly running. And I run this thing. You're the everyday pro. They don't want the Germans to win this race. They want the everyday pros <laughs> to win this race. And But that's how I got myself to it. But I did a lot of step counting. Um, I'd, I'd always do that. And I still do that even now, like just on the turbo count steps and um count my pedal strokes to get through the last minute or whatever and that's a good distraction technique for me
0: so helen let's talk about that just very briefly because that's something that's well recognized as being effective isn't it just just counting the steps or counting the pedal strokes what's the psychology behind that actually working because it definitely does
2: yeah, I mean, you know, distraction is 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 one of a number of te- techniques that you can try. It will work for some people. It won't work for other people. It might work in one race. It might not work in another. And that's why I would really encourage people to explore different techniques because um, they can work at different moments and don't try one and then just mi- dismiss it as not working. Just like anything, if you want to get better at something, you have to practice doing it. And when, when you're changing habits or you're in a world of pain, um, it, it's a lot harder to, to be as effective as possible in that moment. So um, I would certainly urge people to, to explore different things and to try different things because you know, all the techniques that, that I worked on with Lucy and, and the ones in Iron Mind um, are all evidence-based. So they're all techniques which have been tried and tested on athletes and athletes say that they have made a difference and that they can work.
1: But it's not, it's not a quick fix. Like I think that's the the number one thing that I would say. Like it doesn't, it doesn't just work. It's not like you can watch a swim video and go to the pool and suddenly you're swimming twenty seconds a hundred quicker. It it doesn't work like that. You need to practice it and implement it. And like Helen's just said, you know, someone's tip of thinking getting the back end of the stroke will work for some people, and some people might need to think of something completely different. And you might want to mix and match it. And it's exactly the same. With mental training, as it is with physical, um, and it it will work if you invest the time in it. But you have to invest the time in it and um, and treat it as a as a session. Um, but if you do, I, I guarantee it will revolutionise probably your your performance, but also your enjoyment of racing. And you'll learn so much about yourself as a person as well.
0: Well, that takes us around nicely to uh, to talk about the program. I think to wrap this up, doesn't it, Helen? Tell us about where people can find out more about your iron mind program if they've had that interest peaked listening to the two of you chat today
2: yeah well you can uh, you can go to uh, my website which is thinkbelieveperform.co.uk and uh, you'll see um the iron mind uh uh are there on the menu and you can you can get a really good overview i think on the website of, of what's in each video um, as as you mentioned there are activities to go with each video, which I would certainly recommend that you'll get more out of it. If you do invest the time in doing that. Um, and, and yeah, um, sign up for it and uh, let us know what you think. We, uh, we, we, we hope it can make a big difference to people.
0: So we've got a series of six videos. They're all 20 to 30 minutes long and with each video, there's two or three or four worksheets that go along. Um, and and i will say like sitting down and doing the worksheets has been a really interesting exercise for me i've learned loads about myself much it sounds like you did as well lucy you sort of yeah. go how how have i been thinking that 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 isn't <laughs> logical there is no evidence for it there are there are things within us that are rooted in our psychology from childhood or whatever that you unless you bring them out to the light and have a look at you don't realize quite how much they're driving the car on a day-to-day basis sometimes
1: yeah Um, and it's not it's not rocket science, but but it's so it's so interesting when you learn about it
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's not what's that phrase it is easy but it's not simple like you have to actually sit down and do the work but it's not easy doing the work the fact that it's not complicated doesn't mean it isn't effective and I found that really interesting doing this
1: I think the other thing is you have to be honest, and sometimes being honest with yourself, you're admitting stuff that you don't want to admit to yourself. And I certainly found that about some things. But um, yeah, you you open up you, well you, by writing it down. You're you're making it real, which you may find out stuff about yourself that you don't necessarily like. You may find stuff that you do really like.
2: Probably a bit a mixture
1: of both. But um, yeah,
2: <laughs> I think also that that often performance outcomes there is a psychological reason either behind success or failure and people invest so many hours in their physical training for an Ironman because it's so long you know everybody wants to ensure that physically that they can get through it Uh, but the balance of that physical training versus the mental training is usually um, very very different Um, so I, I like to think that this is an opportunity for people to invest some time in that in that mental training and and hopefully see a big impact that can actually change performance outcomes
0: yeah i think so well well listen thank you both very much for your time it's been really interesting to talk to you both Uh, the website again it's thinkbeliefperform.co.uk and helen davis lucy gossage thank you both very much for joining us and i hope we can speak to you again soon
1: thank you very much rob (laughs)
0: So great stuff there from Lucy and Helen. I really highly encourage you to go over and check out that Iron Mind program. Link's in the show notes. I've been through about the first half of the program. They gave me access to it to, to give it a bit of a review, and I really rate it. I'm somebody who had to be very much encouraged to sit down with worksheets and do the work, but I've been really amazed at the difference it's made to my thinking going through some of these worksheets and the difference about how I felt about not just training and racing, but some of the other situations in my life as well so uh yeah don't dismiss it without trying it that would be my advice to you lucy Gossage didn't get to be a 14 times champion just randomly a lot of this hard work that she did that she classes as training wasn't physical training but it's just every bit as much uh training and preparation for the race as anything that interview was brought to us by our new sponsor athletic greens so these guys contacted me and said hey give our product a try there's one scoop of Athletic Greens Ultimate Daily. It's uh, it's like a almost like a a shake that you mix up with water. Like a little twelve gram scoop of quite fruity smelling green powder. You just put it in a in a little bottle and you shake it up. It tastes quite nice. I was very surprised actually. I've got to be honest the way it looked, I thought didn't wasn't thinking it was going to be that great, but it's quite tasty actually, quite fruity. And with one of these scoops, it's got adaptogens, antioxidants, prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes all from a superfood complex that helps support the body's nutritional needs. Um, It helps with energy, immunity, digestion, and recovery. And I figured I'll give this a go. I tried it for 30 days during the period where, during January of this year, actually, when I recovered the health and wellness special. And I was really focused on getting my health on track. I was doing the Thriver blood tests, and I was really focused. And I thought, well, I'll give this a go. And I was really surprised by how much better I felt at the end of that month than at the start of it. Now, albeit there were other things I was focusing on as well, and it's not just down to Athletic Greens for sure. But I really liked the product. It tasted great. It was really useful when I was traveling. They got these natty little travel packs you can take um, that you can just slip into your sponge bag. And again, easy to shake up when you're on the road. When I was on holiday, I could take it then. I personally felt like it helped my digestion. I felt like food was sort of kind of getting absorbed better almost and i did feel as though my digestion was was better supported somehow as i was taking it most importantly i didn't get sick at all and i haven't been sick since taking this so again anecdotal evidence but I really like this stuff and really believe in it. So if you want to give it a try, you can head on over to athleticgreens.com forward slash oxygen addict, and you can claim the special offer for listeners. You get 20 free travel packs with your first purchase. So head over to athleticgreens.com forward slash oxygen addict, and those 20 free travel packs are worth over 60 quid. So really good to have in your bag when you're going on the road, or you're going to races, or you're going on holidays. Um, it's that little bit of added insurance nutritionally, I think, for both your your digestion and knowing that all of those vitamins and minerals are taken care of from whole food supplements. Awesome! Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thanks to our sponsor, Precision Hydration. Use the code oxygenadict fifteen to get yourself fifteen percent off your first order. And you can go to athleticgreens.com forward slash oxygenaddict to get £60 worth of free travel packs. That's 20 free travel packs with your first purchase. And remember, you can also use the code oxygenaddict50 for 50% off your first test at thriver.co if you want to take your own at-home personalised fingerprint blood test, finger prick blood test, excuse me, to find out what's going on inside your body and with your health. So remember, there's links to all of those in the show notes for all those sponsors so you don't have to remember them. And until next week when we'll be back with the results of Ironman New Zealand, have a great safe training and racing week, everybody. I'm Coach Rob Wilby, and you've been listening to the Oxygenetic Triathlon Podcast. See ya.